Have you ever been confused by life? Have you ever been scratching your heads going, what is going on here? Why is my life the way it is? Why are things the way they are? Um, have you ever sensed that you know, there's a trajectory on your life, but you're afraid to go there? That you know that if, if, you, if you go there, if you take those steps, you're stepping into the unknown. You're stepping into the void. So back in 2003, um, we uh, had taken a step as a family to leave our home church and to move away from our hometown and move to the big city of Yakima where um, I took a part-time job, very part-time job, as a music director for a little church. And uh, we were very hopeful. We were kind of excited about it. We, we really felt like this was God's direction for us. That he, was, he was leading us in this direction. He wanted us to be in this place. And so we did it. We made a lot of changes. We changed a lot of things about our life. Um, and uh, when we got in the middle of that year, uh, it, it, things were not turning out the way we thought they would. We uh, couldn't make ends meet. Um, jobs, the jobs that I had lined up had dried up. And then I was left pretty much with a part-time job working for a church um, that had previously paid a full-time salary for that position. And I was thinking, this is not developing. This is not going where I want it to, to be. Um, it ended up being, for Cheryl and I and our girls, um, probably the hardest year of our life. Probably the hardest period of our life. Uh, aside from the last five years. <laughs> it, was, it was a tough situation. Our faith was in God. In fact, we believed that God had led us through that. We believed that he was, he was bringing us into that time, that He had helped us make those decisions. But in the middle of it, we, we had a hard time understanding why it was turning out the way it was turning out. We had a hard time understanding what he was trying to do in all of that. And by the time the year was wrapping up and we were getting to about this time, um, December of 2003, we had a new direction for our lives. It was unknown to us a year prior. We were thinking that we would be, I'd be serving in this church and I'd be making music and leading the worship for that church for the next, you know, many years. We thought that was our new, our thing, but God was taking us in a totally new direction. And right away we began to realize, okay, we see that God is doing something. We, we see that He's working. We see that He's using the situation. But it didn't make all of our questions go away. We still, we still wondered what that was going to look like how that was going to, to work out. And it's taken us years to have peace about that time. To really look back and say, okay, God was in it. And we don't hold it against Him any longer. The story of Christmas is really 
Folks, it's not all that different from that situation and probably many of the situations that you've been in or are in. God caused His plans for the miracle of Christmas to occur in some pretty confusing and fearful times. So let's look at that together. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And if you're able and would like to stand with me as I read this, that would be wonderful. I'll read it aloud as you follow along with me in your own Bibles or on the screen. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look at this a little more closely um, in the next moments that we have together, teach us, help us, help us to understand. Lord, if there's anything that I have planned to say or do say that takes away from your word. God, I pray that you will strike it from our memory so that only what you want us to hear will be remembered today and be obeyed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat, please. So, let's, let's just kind of look through this uh, paragraph, this section of Scripture together, uh, bit by bit. The first thing I want us to look at it at in terms of the miracle of Christmas is that the miracle was anteceded by fearful confusion. Now, anteceded is not a really common word, but it is a verb. Antecede is a verb. It is in the dictionary, and I just used it so that there would be alliteration, as you can see on the back of your bulletin. Um, so just work with me here, okay? The miracle is anteceded by, well, here's, here's the thing, fearful confusion. Look, look at what's going on in this story. Um, it begins with this simple phrase, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew's simply setting the stage. He, he doesn't tell us where this is at. He doesn't give us a lot of context. He doesn't, he doesn't set up the situation how it was here and there and it was at this time and it was at that time. He just says, this is how it happened. Joseph and Mary were betrothed. A man named Joseph, a woman named Mary, they, had, they were betrothed to one another and the mother Mary, mother of Jesus, before they came together, which is code for 
marital union? I don't know. Do I need to go any further? We all understand what come together means here. Before they came together, they were engaged. They were betrothed. Now, that was a legal thing. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a little more background on that in a second. It was a legal thing, but before they came together, here she is, found out to be with child. She's pregnant. They hadn't consummated their marriage. They hadn't come together. And she's pregnant. How do you think you would respond to something like that? If you were the young man, Joseph, who's described as being a just man, a righteous man. He's going, whoa, whoa, what happened here? That's not my baby. Why is this happening? Confusion? Sure, absolutely. Now the baby was born. We know that. We just read that passage. We saw how Joseph heard the message. He, he and Mary got married. They had the baby. They went on with their lives. But you see how confusing, how fearful the situation would be. And here's, here's part of the reason why. Because a betrothal was a legal agreement. It was a legally binding thing. Now, today, when people, uh, people talk about being married, people, they're, they're these big proposals, and, yeah, I'm engaged, I have a fiancé. Uh, all of those things happen, but there's no legally binding thing that's, that's, that's happened there, right? It's just an agreement, a verbal agreement. Until you walk down that aisle, and you have that ceremony, you sign that document, Maybe some, some people don't even walk down the aisle, but they do sign that document and they make it legal. Well, in the early first century, this betrothal was a legally binding agreement. This was a pledge of marriage. And so, if there was infidelity during this, this, this period, this betrothment period, then adultery has taken place. The marriage covenant has already been broken. And so, there would be punishment for it. And the punishment for adultery in, the, in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, the punishment for that was death. And it's a serious thing. It was serious for God. It was serious for His people. And He says, look, this punishment for adultery is punishable by death. So, here's the situation. Joseph finds this out. What is he going to do? It says that he was a just man. And some of the translations say, uh, translate it as a righteous man. Joseph was a righteous man. He was, in, in other words, he was a man of integrity. He did what was right. He believed God's word and he lived by it. He wasn't going to play around. He wasn't going to, he didn't mess around. Him and Mary were doing the right thing. And Joseph was a just man. But his justice wasn't in, just in, I live with integrity, I obey God's law, I do what God commands me to do, I am law-abiding, I am upright, and all of those things. It didn't just mean that he did what was right, but that he also had compassion. He also had mercy. And so he says, it says he's a just man and he was unwilling to put her to shame. Well, he could have. Now, punish, death, the death penalty was, was very uncommon for adultery in the time of Christ. 
So I mean, Joseph wasn't worried that Mary was going to be taken out of the city and stoned or put to death. But what would happen is that she would live with shame the rest of her life, having a child out of wedlock. And he didn't want her to go through that shame. And he didn't want her to go through the shame of a trial. Maybe there's a way that they could send her off to live with some, some family members, have the baby in some other place, and, and escape some of the shame there. But in the meantime, though, he'd have to deal with the fact that they're engaged and he's supposed to get married to her and everybody knows that and the whole community is waiting for that wedding ceremony to take place and celebrate with them. He's going to have to break this off. He can't be a man of integrity and in his mind marry her. He wanted to do what was right but he had compassion for her so he had arranged for a, a secret divorce which many of the Many of the current rabbis of the day um, interpreted uh, the law, the Old Testament law, in, in a way that that divorce could happen privately and discreetly without a public trial. So he planned all of that out. He was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to do the right thing, but, but it says he's considered these things and he hadn't gone through with it. He was still trying to work this thing out until an angel said, came to him in verse 20 and said, hey, this is all part of God's plan, <laughs> essentially. See, God's plans don't always make sense. Amen? I mean, they, didn't make, they, they may not make sense in your life, uh, there may be stories like I've told. You can tell that a story like that too. Like God led me through something didn't make any sense. I'm still trying to make sense of it, although maybe I understand a little bit better of why things happened the way they happened. You may be there too. God's, plan, God's plans didn't make sense in the Bible for the people who were going through them. Matthew didn't understand that. He didn't know that this was a miracle planned by God. God's plans don't always make sense. And, and when that happens, we have a couple of options. One of them is that we can just be so we can just be wrapped up in fear. Our fear just paralyzes us. We don't know what's going on. We don't, it doesn't make sense to us. And so we refuse to act. We refuse to do what it is that He's calling us to do. Well, we could have done that back in the day. We could have done that, but then. We, we sought the Lord, we prayed, we sought counsel, and then suddenly God opened a door for us. It didn't make sense to our, to our friends, uh, not very many of our friends, because the door for us is to join the army, which was never something that I had in my heart to do when I was a young man. But at age 28, there I was. And we, we did what God told us to do, as fearful as that was, but we can, when we don't understand God's plans, we can be paralyzed by fear or worse yet, we can give in to unbelief. We can just abandon our faith. We can turn away and say, God, you're clearly, you clearly don't know what you're doing. You're not as good as I thought you were. Or you're not as powerful as I thought you were. I don't have room in my life for you. It happens 
it can easily happen to us. It could have happened to Joseph. Another example in my life was when I was 10 years in the army and uh, we had this crazy idea that we would walk away from all of it, my active duty career, that I would turn down my promotion to E7 uh, at nine years of time and service, that I'd walk away from a successful career and then we'd move to Yakima to plant a church. We just leave that whole life behind us because we felt like that was what God was leading us to do. I remember talking to friends, (laughs) some in this room, and family that year and going, guys, I think God just leading us to do this. I I don't know what if it's the right thing to do or not. I'm very uncertain, um, but I feel like this is where He wants us to go. I feel like this is what He wants us to do. And uh, I even had my family telling me, Michael, are you sure you want to walk away from that? That's been, it's been really good for your family. I said, I don't want to walk away from that. But I do want to do what God is calling me to do. It was as if God was saying to us, do not fear to take leave of the army and plant a church. For that which is planned is from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was essentially what we heard. And we didn't know how it was going to work out. We didn't know the situation. But we knew we had to obey that word. I mean, that was really... That, that what I just shared with you, that was really the message that Joseph received. The message that the miracle here was announced as prophetic fulfillment. The miracle was announced as prophetic fulfillment. Look at verse 20 again with me. The angel's message. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So, he goes on, you'll, you'll, she's going to bear a son, you'll call him his name Jesus, and then Matthew helps us out by understanding that the whole, this whole situation took place because of what the prophet Isaiah said. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This prophetic fulfillment had a history in the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, but it even had a, a deeper history to that. Notice what Joseph, or notice what the angel says to Joseph. He calls Joseph son of David. Now, have you heard that term before, son of David? And, and you know, when we, when, usually when we hear that term, son of David, it's in the it's in the Gospels and it's applying to Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. Now the angel says, Joseph, you're the son of David too. And what is he wanting us to do? As he's writing this down, he's wanting us to look at what we just skipped, what we skipped over in this passage. If you go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, you'll see the genealogy, the record of Jesus' ancestors going all the way back to Abraham. Going from Abraham to David the king, going from David to the time of the, deep, the, the, the Babylonian exile, and from, from that time of the exile all the way up to Joseph the husband of Mary, verse 16, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. 
So our attention should be drawn back to the context of this passage. Joseph, son of David, is referring to the whole history of Israel up to this point, going all the way back to Abraham. He's the Christ. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He is connected not only to the father of Israel, he's also connected to the kingship, which was a code for the Messiah, Christ, the anointed one. So the angel is, is drawing our attention, and Matthew is, is pointing this out to us, putting this here so that we will see that prophetic fulfillment is not just about a, a predictive prophecy. In the future, this is going to happen. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. But prophetic fulfillment means the culmination of all of God's plans, all of his, the history that He's been working out from Genesis, from Abraham, all the way up to the time of Christ. So that... Even, even the fact that we talk about B.C. and A.D. Now they say B.C.E. before the Common Era or, or B.C.E. and then, what do they call it? C.E. Well, kind of a clever way of kind of removing the most significant historical event that ever took place. The incarnation of God. Jesus coming, the miracle of Christmas. However, I digress. The point being, this was a historically significant situation, not just for Israel, but for all people. What does is, what is, what is, uh, the angel say to Joseph? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And we think, oh yeah, Jesus, we all believe in Jesus, yes. Jesus was a little baby born and put in a manger and all of that. But don't skip over why He was called Jesus. He was called Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. Uh, the, the word Jesus is... It's, Jesus comes from the Greek, Jesus. But it's a translation of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. And Joshua's name means, in the Old Testament, Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. The per, God's personal name is there, right here, in this little baby, in this child who is going to be born. He will save His people from their sins. He is the fulfillment of every expectation. He's the fulfillment of... of, of the, of God's word to Adam and Eve when He said, "Eve, you'll bear you'll you'll, you'll bear child in children in difficulty, but your offspring will crush the head of the serpent." He is the culmination, the fulfillment, the end, the goal of everything God had been doing, and His the His ultimate goal was to save His people from their sins. And, and the first thing we should think of is, well, yeah, the Jewish people. He came to save Israel. Absolutely. Here's the genealogy. Here's Abraham's seed. But we, if we dig a little bit deeper, we realize that in the Old Testament, there is more than just the national Israel. In fact, there were people like, if we look at the genealogy, there were people like Tamar in verse 3. A foreigner. 
a foreign woman who was brought into the genealogy. We have somebody like Rahab in verse 5. Rahab was at Jericho and she's described as a prostitute who had a house built into the wall of Jericho and she saved the the Israelite spies and protected them and told them I believe in your God my family believes in the God of Israel Yahweh and when you guys come to destroy us please save us I know you're going to destroy this entire city but please save us and they did and she was brought, brought in to Jesus' ancestry. And then there's somebody like Ruth. Ruth was from the nation of Moab, not Israelites. (laughs) She didn't belong there because she was brought in by love and by a really interesting romantic story if you read the book of Ruth. And there are these people here who don't belong, but yet God includes them in because by faith they believe in God and they believe in His promises His people means not just Israel, but His people means you and me who have an opportunity to respond by faith. And so as Matthew continues to write his gospel, he's not done talking about other people. In a couple weeks, we'll look at the story, Lord willing, of the Magi, what we call the wise men, who came to worship Jesus as a little baby, as a little child. These people don't belong. Not in the history of Israel, but in God's plans, in His prophetic fulfillment, they belong. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. We looked at that, last, that passage last week. In Isaiah 11, it culminates with that this son... This child, this one who is born to be a king, is going to be a signal for the peoples. And all the nations are going to seek him out. They are going to look at the one lifted up, like like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. The Son of Man, Jesus, was lifted up on the cross to save all people. So when it says His people, He really means not just the Israelites, but He's talking about anybody who looks to Jesus for salvation. That is glorious. That is a great plan. That is a wise plan. That is a gracious plan. God's plans are always made with wisdom and grace. Always. You don't always understand it. When uh, Edith Schaefer, the wife of Francis Schaefer, who was an apologist and a missionary and evangelist of the last century, when Edith was, was writing their story down in the early 80s, just before Francis died of cancer, Edith wrote a story and she called it The Tapestry. And what she meant by that is that this. Our lives are like a tapestry. We see the threads knotted. We see a mess of stuff. If you've ever looked at a a real live tapestry, it looks beautiful until you look at the other side. 
The backside of that tapestry is all full of nonsense. It's chaos. The threads are going every which way. There's knots tied here, knots tied there. There doesn't seem to be any purpose, any rhyme or reason. Oh yes, some of the colors are beautiful and every once in a while you can you can see, ah, I thought there's maybe a pattern there, but it's covered up because so much of that is intertwined on the backside and we don't have the perspective of God. We don't see the beauty of what God is doing. We can't see from that perspective. Every once in a while, we might get a glimpse. Maybe maybe it's as if we were standing there looking at the back of the tapestry, confused and wondering, what in the world is God doing here? We may see the glimpse of the other side, maybe through a reflection. And we might go, that is beautiful, that is glorious, just like what we sometimes do in our own lives. When we get a glimpse that God is behind it, and we see that, and we think, this is amazing, this is glorious, but even that little glimpse is only part of what He's doing in you and me and in what He's doing in this world. So much of what we're asked to do is to simply trust Him. That's what Joseph was asked to do here. This miracle was going to take place. It was part of His plans. It was going to fulfill the trajectory that He had started. It was going to fulfill direct prophecy, the prophet Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. But it was going to require of Him, but what, it was going to, what it was going to require of Him was trust. He had to trust that God's ways are perfect. He was going to try, he was going to have to accept that his plans are best. Always. Noah and I were talking last night, we talked about always and never. And how you can never say never and never say always, right? Because they they don't really exist in this world. I always do this. Well, I don't always do that because sometimes I do the other thing. Or I never do it. Well, that's not true because sometimes I do, you know. But there's one person where always and never applies and that's God. He always does what is good and right and perfect. He always acts out of His holiness. He always acts out of His justice. He always acts out of His mercy. He always acts out of His love. And you and I cannot do that. And you and, I, you, you and I don't have any earthly examples of that. Not truly. But He does. He does. He asks us like He asked Joseph, trust me. What does that look like? What, do, what does it look like to trust Jesus in that way? Well, the last couple of verses show us in, in terms of Joseph's response. The miracle was answered by careful obedience. Notice how when Joseph woke up, it says he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And look what what he did. He took his wife. He knew her not until she had what? Given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Basically, Matthew's just saying, well, let's see. All of the things that the angel said to Joseph, told him to do, Joseph did. He did it. He did it all. He was careful to obey. Do you think he understood it all? I don't think he did. I honestly don't think he did. I think Joseph was like, okay, I'm going to obey you. You know why? Because I believe God. He's good and He's right. 
He's perfect, and I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what He's asked me to do. I don't understand it all. I may never understand it. Now Joseph sees from a heavenly perspective <laughs> because he, he's no longer with us here. But he sees the tapestry. He sees how it all worked out. Joseph did all of it. He did it in every detail. Well, here's the thing. I, I sometimes think about this and other stories. Could, could things have turned out differently? Could God have done... God? Could God have done something a little differently? I'm, getting, I'm really getting deep in my grammar here. Could He have done things differently? Absolutely! He could have. But notice this, that God's plans are accomplished through obedient children. God's plans are accomplished through obedient children. In other words, He's using people to accomplish what He wants to accomplish, what He wants to do in this world. He has plans, and He's going to work them all the way through to fulfillment. But He chooses to use you and me. He chose to use Joseph. He chose to use Mary. No, this was not... (laughs) Mary's story is not another hashtag me too. Okay? Like some people are, are wanting to accuse God of recently. I don't know if you saw that story about a week ago. Some guy came out, some professor in the Midwest said, oh, you know what really happened was, was God did not ask permission, did not have consent before he impregnated this young lady. Now I don't want to get you all riled up and so you start writing letters and things like that. But what I want you to do is, is understand that God has a perfect and, and awesome plan. And Mary didn't take it that way. We, don't, we're not, we haven't looked at her, her story, but if we flip over to Luke chapter 1, when an angel comes to Mary and says, here's what's going to happen, Mary goes, who am I that I should be the mother of the Son of God? What a privilege I have for this. Joseph heard this message and goes, God does whatever He pleases under the heavens and on earth. He does whatever He wants. And if he's, He wants to do this, then so be it. We will be the Lord's humble servants. So Joseph and Mary took this and they obeyed. God could have done things differently, but He chooses to use Obedient children. It's kind of like when at the end of this worship gathering, all of the chairs will get stacked and we'll put things away and we'll kind of clear out this corner and then we will migrate to the far hall and we will take these giant tables and we will hoist them into this room and stack them in this corner and put them back where they were before we started. This room doesn't look like this every Sunday. It doesn't happen this way by by magic. Um, But we will do that. And what will happen is the little kids, the little ones, you know, the ankle biters, you know who I'm talking about. They're barely walking, but they say, I want to help. So they reach up and they, they pull on that table while we're trying to carry it. That's what they do. But at the end of it, they're smiling. They're happy. They're proud that they were able to participate in that. And they were part of that. It's like when mommy invites the, the, the daughters to come into the kitchen, help me bake some Christmas cookies. And it's a crazy town. 
And the, and the ingredients are just going everywhere. And it takes mommy three or four hours longer than it should have. I mean, it would have been a lot easier just to do it herself. But at the end of the day, when the cookies are presented to the neighbors or the family or the guests, there's, a, there's pride in the little girl's heart. She goes, I made those cookies. And there's pride in the mother whose joy is full because a child has participated in that. It's like when the family is decorating the Christmas tree and, and the son, the little boy, he wants to put the, tree, the, the star on the top of the tree. But there's no way he can do it. He can't do that. But the father who loves his son says, I want you to help me with this. Make this Christmas bright, or whatever you want to call it. And lifts the sun up, and that star goes up on the top of the tree, and everyone rejoices, and the sun is filled with joy because he helped. God is a good Father. And He includes us in His good work because He loves us. He's not like he's not like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe when Thanos wants to just snap his fingers and fix everything. He's working the world's problems and our imperfections and all of our messiness. He's using us despite us. <laughs> he loves us. And He's included us in His plans. Our response is one of faith. Because here, here, here's the reality. We cannot participate in those beautiful and glorious plans if we hold back in fear. We cannot participate in those beautiful, glorious plans if we hold ourselves back in unbelief. It takes us going to Jesus. See, the miracle of Christmas is, in fact, Jesus. It wasn't a virgin conception. It wasn't just, you know, an angelic visit. Whoa, miracle alert. Those were all signs pointing to the One. The miracle Himself, Jesus, whose then life and His future death and then resurrection makes miracles out of everyone who believes. That's the miracle of Christmas. Not that we stand back and go, oh, isn't that wonderful? Oh, isn't that great? Doesn't that fill you with joy? And it does. But the miracle is that He chooses to save you and me and those around us. He chooses to turn us from death to life. He does that in us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. John chapter 1 then, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And check this out. Verse 13 goes on in that Gospel of John. Who were born 
Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is that? That's, that's a miracle. That's a miracle birth. Jesus, or God did that in, in, through the Holy Spirit at the conception of Jesus. And He does that through the Holy Spirit to work a miracle in human souls to bring us to new life, to make us alive in Him. He's done that for you and for me. And He asks us to look to Him for life and breath and everything. So really, the challenge of this is not just to look at the story and be amazed and, and wonder in our hearts about how this happened and how it worked out and, or argue about how this prophe- prophecy in Isaiah was actually fulfilled or was it a census plenier or was it a direct fulfillment or whatever. But to, to consider... Have you allowed God to make a miracle out of your life through faith in Him? We have the opportunity to see the kingdom of God in Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves if we receive Him, if we believe in Him. His life, death, and resurrection makes miracles out of all who believe. God's plans include you and me. Let's be a part of God's plans. Let's not miss that this Christmas season. Let's not miss that at all. And for those who are in your families and your your extended relationships, I don't know how you're going to share that, but they need to hear it too. They need to hear it too. Ask the Lord to do a miracle in you and in your voice maybe so that they can hear and they can respond in faith as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that...